matter what's going on out there. Doesn't matter. He is always faithful. He is always good to us. He's always watching over us. He always has our best interest at heart. And I know we sing that song, it's not today, but even when we don't feel it, he's working. And even when we don't see it, he's working. So we know he's working. We know he's doing his thing. Doesn't always match our thing, <laughs> but he's doing his thing. Will you guys stand with me this morning? You got something you want to share? Okay. Put that scripture up, Tim, for us. We're going to do a call to worship out of Revelation 4. What we do is we read this together on the count of three, and then we'll just say a quick prayer, and then we'll get started worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. All right. One, two, three. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father. We just come into your presence this morning, Lord. Father, it is such a privilege. It is such a privilege to come before your throne, to lift you up in worship, to declare and decree who you are, who you have always been to us, for us, with us. And Father, we come into your presence today to lift you up, to magnify the name of Jesus above all things. We turn our eyes unto you, O Lord, and we invite you, come. Come be enthroned upon the praises of your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we were worshiping, I just sensed the presence of the, the Lord, the presence of the Father. And it was like um, it was like this oasis, this perfect oasis. And it was like this magical place where no matter how many enter in, there's always enough. There's always room. There's always enough. And outside of the perimeter of the oasis was a barren place. It was a barren place. And what I saw was that people would come in and they would be so desperate. They would be so desperate for water. And the Father would just give generously. He doesn't withhold. And they would fill up. But over time, their insecurities grew. And they began to exit out of the perimeter and begin to try to work of their own hand to create and to acquire their own resources. And it was futile. I mean, it was, but they felt productive. They felt powerful. And yet they would come back again and again, thirsty, thirsty to the point of death. And the father is ever faithful. He's ever faithful. No one who enters into his presence and drinks deeply of him will thirst. And I just felt the call, come, come, come. 
I am faithful and I am true and I am just and I give generously to my children. Thank you, Father, for your presence. As we come into his presence in worship, in that same way we come to the table of communion to remember, to remember all that Jesus did and that there is nothing we can add to it. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can separate us. I'm so thankful for the presence of the Lord here this morning. Guys, we're going to take communion together uh, as a church family. Uh, if you've not been here before, there's three tables here. There's two up here. There's one in the back. We just ask that you uh, go into the tables and grab uh, communion elements. There's two cups. So the top is the juice, the bottom is the cracker. So you just got to pick up one thing at a time and pick up those two together. And then return to your seats. And in just a minute, we'll come back up here and we'll take communion together collectively as a church. Amen? Yeah. Okay, make your way. is everything that we need. I love what you were saying. This morning as I was praying, I just, I had this, I was actually laying on the floor, and I was, I was hiding in the bedroom praying, and the blanket that I had on was too small, and it didn't cover everything, and it was like it came from my shins up to about here, and as I would pull it up, my feet would be exposed. And as I pulled it down, my chest would be exposed. And the Lord said, there is nothing you can do in your own strength to fully be covered in my love. I've already paid the price. I've already done everything I'm going to do. Receive my love. Receive my forgiveness. Receive the hope that only I can bring. Receive the peace that only I can bring. All your striving and trying and trying to make that blanket of the world bigger than it actually is does not work. I could have tried stretching it. I tried cr crawling up in a ball. Nothing I could do could do it. And Jesus was just like, it's because you can't. You can't do it on your own. Jesus, only Jesus. Amen? Amen. Bible says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. We had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which was broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us partake. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the price he paid on the cross. 
We thank you for his death, and we thank you even more for his resurrection. And Father, as we come back into worship and we worship you, I just pray that each and every one of us, that our eyes would be focused on you and you alone. Eyes on you. Hearts on you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We have one more song here. The altar is open, so stand with me. We're going to worship. If you need, feel like you need to come to the altar this morning and you've got to do some business with the Lord, it is open. Do it. Do the business. Come on. It's Thanksgiving week. We have much to be thankful for. But if you've got business to take care of, then let's do it this morning. just going to read to you all out of the word. Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. I'm going to skip all the verses about the wicked because I just don't want to focus on them this morning except to say that in verse 13 it says the Lord laughs at him. Laughs at the wicked. The Lord laughs at the wicked. Sometimes I actually, I know for a fact that one thing the devil cannot abide is being laughed at. So I just encourage you, when you're in the middle of it, and it's just to the point of ridiculous where he, there's just stuff coming at you from all sides. If you can keep that one thing in mind and just start, just laugh. Just laugh or do something crazy. Like, you know what? You're not going to school today. We're going to stay in your pajamas and watch movies all day and eat popcorn. You know what I mean? And just laugh. And suddenly the devil won't even know what to do with you. The Lord laughs at the wicked. For he sees that his day is coming. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. That is hard for us to wrap our heads around in this time that we live. I'm going to read that again. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord. The righteous show mercy and give, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his ways. 
And so I just noticed this this morning. I've read this psalm so many. This psalm is my comfort. During these times, this song is my comfort. It gives me permission not to engage with the enemy. It gives me permission just to rest in the Lord, to rejoice in who he is. It gives me permission to have joy in my everyday life and to laugh with my kids. I don't have to be the crusader of truth and justice in the American way on all fronts. But what I noticed this morning is that it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, capital, he, so the Lord delights in his way, lowercase, lowercase, lowercase his. So he, the Lord, delights in my way, the steps of a good man, provided that we're all in agreement that I'm a good man, woman. Um, so he, the Lord delights in our ways when he is ordering our steps. And what is the cry of our heart? Our heart is always, Lord, lead us. We only want to be, we only want our feet to tread where you've prepared for us to tread. And we'll go any way you point, any which way. Just lead us and show us. Let our eyes be opened. And then we become his delight. Imagine that. We become his delight. I have been young and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends. And his descendants are blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart, and none of his steps shall slide. Thank you, Jesus. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. I love this psalm. It just takes the legs right out of fear. Fear of failure? Is that your particular thing? It says that you may fall, but you will not be utterly cast down. You don't have to be afraid of failing. Fear of, I don't know, not being good enough. It says the law of the, law of, of the Lord is written on your heart. He delights in you. He loves you. Fear of lack. Fear of lack. What if the grocery store is empty and I can't get peanut butter? It's like the ongoing inside ECF joke. The Ackermans and their need for peanut butter. Well, the Lord is able to provide the peanut butter. There's the fear of lack. It says, it says, and this one really I hold on to, I've been young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Some translations say his children begging bread, begging peanut butter, begging for anything. I am not a beggar. I'm a daughter of the king. And he is the all in all, he has all that we need. There is no lack in him. 
There is no fear in him. Perfect love casts out fear. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Thank you for your presence this morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. Praise you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that as we come into your presence, we can lay everything at your feet. You know it all anyway. We lay it all at your feet, Father, and we drink deeply from the well of your presence, of your love. Father, I pray that you would break down walls that keep us from receiving. There's condemnation, there's fear, there's worry. Father, we give you permission to break down our defenses and teach us to drink deeply. Teach us to receive fully that we may walk with the joy of the Lord, which will be our strength in times of trouble. Jesus, we love you. We trust in you. We trust in you in, in all things. In Jesus' name. We're so excited that you guys are here today. And I felt a sense this morning that miracles were occurring while we were worshiping. So I don't know what it was. <laughs> I don't know what miracle you came in needing, that your heart was yearning for. But I felt as though as the moment you began to look on him and not on the situation, the problem, he began making a way. He began opening a door. He began paving something new, a new path for a miracle to take place in your life. So that's exciting. Amen? Amen. Well, we're going to have a time of greeting. Yeah. I'm just going to say something. We're so excited that you're here. We're excited to be here. And you know, if I wasn't pastor of this church, I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm pastoring the church with you. I really am. Because this time in history would be right up my alley. Mm. Stay in my jammies <laughs> and do church at home away from people. Because people are messy and they're a little scary to those of us who can't always figure them out, you know. People are complicated, but we are called to be in relationship with one another. We're called to minister to one another. Um, and I'm just glad. And that's like a confession for me, so y'all know. If I wasn't pastor, man, I might be home in my jammies week after week after week. I mean, this just would have been the perfect, the perfect thing for me. And I'm glad that I'm not because there's something here. Amen. There's just something here. And I want you to know something. We're not bothered. We aren't personally bothered when our attendance is small, necessarily. And the reason is, is because we have found whenever that's the case, the spirit of God is so sweet. I mean, we've come in, in um, winter storms that were treacherous, and there has been like 20 people here. And I mean, I remember the one specifically. It was the sweetest spirit. Um, during worship that was here. So when we say we're just thankful, I mean, we probably say it 10 times a service. We're just happy to be together. We're happy to be here um, and to see your faces and to just say hi and to, to have group. So we're going to have greeting time. Um, and we just feel like it's an important time. It's an important time to encourage one another. Um, so 
we're going to dismiss to greet. During greeting time, if you are an ECF regular kid, you know the drill. Head to Kid Corner, um, grab your sermon bag, you know your color. Um, if you're a guest, we have sermon bags for kids, toddler through sixth grade. Um, there's also sermon notes where they can draw and take notes. The sermon notes go home with you, the bags stay. There's also book borrow. So they can borrow a book. There's some really beautiful Christian books over there. Um, they can borrow some books for during service. And we are kid-friendly, so, you know, they don't have to be silent during the sermon. Um, and every once in a while, I know. <laughs> Look at Max is doing a happy dance. I don't have to be quiet during sermon. Um, every once in a while, Max will give a shout-out, amen, and, and that's awesome. So also, our, the offering buckets are up here. We don't pass them during this time. But if you've got an offering to, to bring... Pray over it, bless it, and bring it on up during this greeting time. And I'll call you back together probably in about five, ten minutes with announcements. Okay, all right. All right. Sorry I took a little long this morning. When I get rotating, sometimes I lose track of time. And I think Jason was rotating, too, because he usually reminds me, and he was off somewhere. All right, a couple of announcements. First, I'd like to welcome our guests. As I said before, we broke for, uh, for fellowship time. We are always delighted to have um, you with us to worship. If you would like to connect with us and be part of communications, you can... Uh, send an email to info at ecfchurch.org. Also, prayer requests, praise reports, um, and testimonies go to prayer at ecfchurch.org. We are actually, this isn't part of the announcements, but I'm going to tell you, we're working on a connection card because it's amazing how few emails we get. And when we used to have a connection card, we would actually get more prayer requests. We would get more praise reports. Um, so we're actually working on a connection card that will fit in the little pockets that are in the backs of the chairs. They're kind of um, interspersed throughout the congregation, but they're just kind of like a little bookmark thing. And so I'm excited about that. We've been working on it, and that I don't know when it's going to get finished in, in the chairs, but it's, it's coming. Um, so something to look forward to. Um, secondly, again, I want to point out the missions tree out in the lobby. Um, it is uh, for Operation Christmas Child. It helps pay for the shipping of the boxes, and it also goes to purchase um, the kind of the wow items. So when the ladies pack the boxes, we want them to be awesome boxes. So if they look at them and, and some of them look a little, mm, they purchase wow items. They can pop it in there, and it kind of makes a big impact for these kids. So if you want to participate, I encourage you, there are ornaments. You can take an ornament off the tree. They're shaped like the shoebox, like airplane on the bottom left of that slide there. When you take an ornament off the tree, you can take it home. It reminds you to pray for the ministry. Um, and then when you fill out your offering envelope, you can add a, do a donation for Operation Christmas Child Expenses, and you just have to market OCC. So let's say you're doing your tithes and offerings. You would put your tithe and offering amount on that line, and then on the other line, you'd put your OCC amount, and you'd write OCC um, so that we know where that money is to go. So I encourage you to do that. It's a great way to include your children in missions. Um, so that is the missions tree out in the lobby. And then also there are new devotionals are here. The Word for You Today devotional. It's really short, good bits of the Word. Um, it's amazing how those devotionals 
kind of speak right to where you're at sometimes. You feel like, whoo, Holy Spirit, you knew what I was going to need to hear today. Like months before they were printed, but somehow it lines right up. So I encourage you, those devotionals are out by the OCC tree. So I encourage you to pick one of those up also. And that's all I have. Okay, I just want to pray over our tithes and offerings. I do have a uh, scripture I want to read out of James first before I pray over that. Then we'll get into the word this morning. Part of our reading this week was in James. Uh, If you're following the reading with us, some days there's quite a bit of reading that you got to get done. Uh, It takes you a little time to keep up with it. There's bookmarks to get on that back table. Uh, You can grab a bookmark and kind of we're reading through the Bible together. Uh, We're in the New Testament. We're working our way through. I think this morning was First John, all of it, one chapters one through five, and so you gotta you gotta be on it and stay with it. But it's it's been a blessing to me, hopefully for you too. But James two, starting in verse fourteen, says this: What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, "Depart, go in peace, be warmed and filled." But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And I started thinking about this in the context of tithes and offerings. I was like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us as a church, and as Christians, as a people? Well, faith without works is dead. And we talk so much about trust And we talk so much about obedience and being obedient to the tithes and what God is calling us to go do above and beyond. Many times he speaks to us. But there's also this element of faith that's linked to trust that says, you know what? I am putting my trust fully in God and I have faith that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do and I will trust him with my finances and I will go ahead and mix my faith with some action. So we can believe all day, but if we don't mix it with some action, you can believe that all your bills are going to be paid, but if you don't mix it with a little bit of action, saying, Lord, I trust you with my tithe, come on, guys, the Bible is real clear about the promises regarding our tithes and regarding our offerings. And so many times if somebody will come to me and say, I'm just really struggling financially, and, you know, I can't pay my bills, and a lot of questions I ask is, do you tithe? And they kind of look at me. Hmm. I say, guys, this is just being obedient to the, to the word of God. And do we trust him enough? Will we mix our faith in what he says in the Bible that he will do with some action? So many of you mix that faith in action. Many of you have testimonies, including myself, of God's faithfulness. That he delivers on his promises. Amen? He, can't, he has to. It's the way it's set up. He has to. So let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are the keeper of the promises. Your promises, your word that you have delivered to us, you keep those promises. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are blessing every gift, every giver, every family that is here, every family watching online today, that you are blessing them with the things that they need and they're trusting in you, Lord, but that each and every one of them is becoming what we're believing is as a distribution center. Father, that you are working through this church and working through our families, that you are delivering stuff to us so that we can then deliver it to someone else. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that each and every one of us is a distribution center. Everything we have is from you, and we're willing to do whatever you tell us to go do with what you've given us. And we put our trust in you, 
And Father, I pray over the word today that you will just speak through me this morning, that you continue to clarify and show the vision of Erie Christian Fellowship Church and where we're headed and what you have in store for our future. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to hit a couple scriptures here before we get to that. As you guys know, we've been, we've been doing a series on vision out of Proverbs 29, verse um, 18. It says, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And my hopes in this series is to begin to show you, to begin to reveal what God has in store for Erie Christian Fellowship Church. So that it says in Habakkuk 2 verse 2, when the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Church, I want a church of runners. Yeah, everyone's just like, no, not me, I'm not a runner. Guys, guess what? I am not a runner. Okay, we have determined that physically, God genetically made me that I cannot run long distances. You're like, that's not true. I'm sure you can if you train. You're probably right, but I don't want to train. (laughs) Amen. I don't want to do long distance running. I feel like the Lord gave me like fast twitch muscles and I can sprint from here to there probably as fast as most of you, but then I can't go any further, right? And I'm okay with that. But I want a church full of runners. I want those who can sprint. I want those who can run marathons. I want those who can run the 400, the 800, and the 1200 meter, okay? We all have different parts to play in this race. He's called each and every one of us to run part of this race collectively together, amen? And we each have a different part to play. So I want some runners in here, amen? Anybody want to do some running here? Come on. All right, so what I want to do is we're going to put up that vision slide. Tim, if you want to put that vision slide up for us. We've been kind of casting some vision. We've been talking about, uh, I've been talking for a while, the Lord had shown me across Route 90 and down Route 79, but we believing that we are going to reach a million souls for Jesus Christ in the northwestern Pennsylvania. And the question is, if that's a great vision, Pastor Jason, but how are we going to accomplish that? It's great. That's a great thing. I want to see a million people. We all want to see a million people saved and transformed. But how are we going to do that? I've been spending the past couple weeks looking at our logo, which you can see on the top left-hand side. And the Lord began to reveal to me that our logo has the cross in the center. So whatever we do as a church, Jesus Christ will be the center. He is the center of all that we do. His word, the word of God, the center of everything that we do. And I noticed that that cross in our logo makes a pretty nice slice of the circle into four different sections. And in order for those four sections to work, for them to work to reach a million souls, it has to be surrounded by prayer. It has to be surrounded by participation from each of us that we just talked about running the race and about partnership. We, Erie Christian Fellowship Church, won't reach all those million souls all by ourselves. We will do it through partnership with other churches, with other ministries. We will plant churches, I believe. There's a lot of things we will do, but it's going to be in partnership with others. And it's not, it's, it's not about Erie Christian Fellowship Church. In fact, it would be great if our name wasn't even associated with reaching the million souls, because it's not about Erie Christian Fellowship Church. 
It's about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel message. And so last week, I started on the lost saved bucket of the four kind of things and what that meant, what the church's role is in seeing the lost saved. And I have my little whiteboard up here. If you guys remember, I'm no whiteboard today. I'm so sorry. You will be able to understand everything that I'm writing because I'm writing nothing today, okay? So we have the lost saved. We talked about how seeing the lost saved, we have both a church's responsibility and an individual responsibility. And the church's responsibility was to equip you to share the gospel, to train you to share the gospel. It was also to see from a church perspective the partnerships that we have, both globally and locally, reaching people with the gospel, meeting people's practical needs, and planting churches. And I had that whiteboard over there, and I did all this graph stuff. And we're working on a graphic so we can put it up like we did here on this one so you guys can see it clearly. And I want to have more of the missionaries in that we support. And I, want to have, I know we have Jeremy Gall in here, but I want to have more of the people that we support. So you can, and actually, Brian uh, Lusky was here not too long ago from Grace Church. And he was actually going to be on the worship team one of these weeks. Uh, so we're hoping to... What's that? supposed to be this week. So we're hoping to get him and playing up here with us as well before he heads off to Japan, if you guys remember that. But this morning, I want to talk about lives transformed. I want to talk about lives transformed. And we did the joke about Penn State, so please don't talk to me about Penn State. Yes, I know they're 0-5. Yes, I know in the whole history of Penn State football, they've never lost the first five games, and it's very sad. But what we've been doing is we've been doing the we are, and then we, as people would say Penn State, but we are Erie Christian Fellowship Church, and we are reaching a million souls for Jesus Christ, and we are a family church, and we are seeing lives transformed in Jesus' name. So what do I mean by a life transformed? What does that look like? I've got these five words. It's like a process that people go through. Guys, a life transformed is a process. Come on, guys. It is a process. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you've been a Christian for a week, whether you've been a Christian for three years, 30 years, or 60 years, or more, it is a process. And here's what I believe the process looks like. The first word is you were first lost. You were lost. Every one of us was lost. And if we don't do the lost saved... You're not going to get to the life transformed. These circles, they interact with each other. You want a family that thrives? Then you need to be saved and you need to see your life being transformed. Because in order to father in today's environment, in order to be a good dad and a good husband, I need my life transformed. I can't do it on TED Talks. I can't do it on watching fun videos on YouTube. I need transformation in my life to be a good father. Striving doesn't work. Reading more books alone doesn't work. I've tried it. Not that they don't help, but it's like they don't work over time because I have to see life transformation. And I believe that when we begin to see that, we will see miracles happen and the sick healed and all of these things begin working together. But a big piece of it is our life being transformed. So you have to move from lost to believing, which means basically that you're saved, to following. You can believe, and you can stop right there and not actually follow Jesus. And man, is that a miserable life. Because you've been given the light. The light has been revealed to you. And we have to actually begin to follow. 
And once we are lost and then we believe and now we're following, we have to grow. Our life begins to be transformed through growing, through growing in the word, through the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin in our life that, you know what? Now that I know Jesus, I can no longer walk in that sin anymore. I'm not comfortable with it anymore. That begins to happen on the inside. From loss to believe, to follow, to grow, to multiply. A life transformed leads to multiplication. A life transformed leads to discipleship of others. A discipled life leads to discipling others. What does a transformed life look like? It looks like a disciple of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that and look at that here in just a minute. But it means a non-normal life. As you walk with the Lord, I am telling you, we should look less and less and less like the world. Guys, come on. We need to, I mean, even today, man, the stuff that's going on, we need to look less and less and less like the world. Not in how we're, like, dressing. I mean, okay, I mean, I guess you could if you wanted to. But I'm talking about in how we are speaking and what we are believing what we are saying, how we're treating others, how we walk into a room. We need to be different. I've said it, we need to be not normal. Church, can we just be not normal? Because normal, collectively, add it all together, you get some kind of average. I don't want to be average. I don't want to be average. I want a life transformed so much so that I'm not normal. That I'm not average anymore because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. I want to be the ones who are influencing the world, not being influenced by it. And a life transformed, we ought to look miraculously, because of his power, different on the other side than pre-Jesus in our life. You know, my dad, I don't know if he's probably not watching at the moment, he's in the hospital, so if you guys could pray for my dad. Uh, he's from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. He's 84 years old. He had like an asthma attack the other day. So he's in the hospital. But every time I think of a life transformed, I think of my dad. My dad, and I've told some of the stories about him, I think, before. My dad was a motorcycle gang leader, pool hustler, street fighter, marine, boxer. Okay, that's like, okay, now string all those things together, and this is my dad. If you would meet my dad today, you'd be like, shut up. You are lying to me. There's no way that this gentle, mild-mannered man who believes in Jesus, who is sharing and encouraging and uplifting, and yes, I know 84 years of life will begin to maybe soften a few things here and there. I'm a little softer at 44 than I was at 24. But a life transformed, my dad, I mean, literally would beat you up, take your money, beat you then at pool again, and then drive off with his motorcycle gang. I mean, this was the life that he lived. But then Jesus entered into his life. And Jesus entered into all of our lives. And we look back and say, my life has been transformed. Because without Jesus, ooh, Lord, help us all. But with Jesus, does that mean I'm perfect today one? No. Does it mean I'm ever perfect? No. None of us are. But it's this journey, it's this process 
of walking through from lost to believe, to grow, to multiply. We multiply. Our goal is multiplication and making disciples. So the Bible says in Matthew 4, I'm going to read this, I told you to turn there, Matthew 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, Matthew 4, verse 18, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. They immediately left their comfort. They immediately left their profession. They immediately left everything that brought them from the world, the things that they thought would make them comfortable, and they left. They followed him immediately with a strange term called a fisher of men. They're probably like, what is this guy talking? I mean, think about it. If someone came up to you and you didn't understand the Bible, say, I want to make you a fisher of men. They'd be like, what are you talking about? But the Holy Spirit's so strong on Jesus Christ, walking on this earth. As he said, follow me, Holy Spirit convicted them and said, I'm going to follow this person. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I am going to leave everything behind and follow him. And when we go from lost to being saved to growing and to multiplying. We have to leave everything of this world behind. Everything, not meaning we literally leave our family, although God calls some people to do that, or leave our kids, my goodness, no. Saying to leave the trust in the net, in the physical nets of life, the physical nets of gathering the fish of life. That I can control. I can say when that, when that neck goes. It says leave all that alone. Leave it all behind and follow me. And the interesting in the book of Matthew, chapters 1 through 4, it talks about who they were following. There are descriptive words about Jesus. I'm going to read these to you. You can read Matthew 1 through 4. It says they call Jesus Savior, Messiah, Son of David, Son of Abraham, the center of history, fully human, fully divine. Sovereign over the wise, shepherd of the weak. The ends of our exile, loves his enemies, savior, king, righteous judge, filled with the spirit, loved by the father God. The new Adam, the true Israel, the light of the world, and the hope of all nations. All that is leading up to Matthew chapter 4. Now whether these guys knew that or understood that, that's what they sensed the moment he said follow me. The Holy Spirit convicted them of all that list of who Jesus was and said, I have to go. I have to go follow him. Verse 21 goes on and says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, the sons of thunder, as they're called in other places. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They left it all. Church, the things we are holding on to, if we want a life transformed, we have to let them go. Is it your job? Is our trust in something or somewhere else limiting our ability to follow him? 
Each and every one of us has to be moving from lost to believe, to follow, to grow, and to multiply. You look at the Apostle Paul's life, man, what a transformation. From lost to blinded, (laughs) to saved, to restored, to growing, and his ultimate goal was to multiply. The church, we play a part in this Sunday mornings to equip We've got groups, we've got community groups that meet at home. We've got men to men, we've got women to women. We've got groups, we've got a leadership Christian academy. We have a school. We've got all these tools to help disciple. All these things that we can get to do and you can play a part in those as a church. But let me ask us about us today. How about us? What does a disciple do? What does someone who has a transformed life do? Let's turn to the book of Acts with me, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. It's talking about the early church. It's talking about the disciples. It's talking about Christians, those who are following him. They've made the decision to follow him. What does their world look like? What does their life look like? Then those who gladly, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word, thank you, Jesus, they were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, Look at this, 42. And they continued steadfastly. Steadfastly. That's like immovable. Not able to move steadfastly in what? In the apostles' doctrine, in the word of God. But not just that. And in fellowship. Whoa, in fellowship. You mean just reading the Bible at, at home all by myself? There's more for me to do as a disciple? There is more for you to do as a disciple. He is calling fellowship into the church. He's calling us to be able to be discipled and to make disciples. It has to be doing life with each other. This is what the early church did. Why do we think we can do it some other way? The answer is we can't. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' time in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. They read, they studied the word of God, they fellowshiped, they did life together. They were making other disciples. Do you know that God has created us to reproduce? No matter what the world says. And I'm not going to get into that right now. And I don't mean just physically. I mean in a spiritual sense as well. He is calling us to reproduce. He is calling us to make disciples. He is calling us to multiply. Here are some discipleship myths. You ready? One of the discipleship myths that I wrote down is this is separate from my day job. Like you hear the word discipleship and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like do I have to get a degree in discipleship? Do I have to like quit my job and then like go to like a discipleship like special thing? Like this word begets to be intimidating. It becomes intimidating to us because we don't understand what it is. But let me tell you something, guys. It's not separate from your day job. It's not actual a job. It's something you do on a day-to-day basis. It's something you do where you are, where God has you, who he has put in front of you. It's called the rhythm of life. We disciple others in the rhythm of our lives. I'm not going to ask you all to stand up, close your eyes, spin around three times, and whoever you open your eyes up to, that's who you're supposed to disciple from now on. Like, that would be so goofy. 
You want to try it? Yeah. No. No. It's who God has in front of you. It's called the rhythm of your life. Now watch this. I'm going to start clapping. I want you guys to clap with me. Ready? Okay. All right.